welcome to First and Goal, the hardest-hitting up-and-coming ACC and SEC football podcast on the internet today. It is Tuesday, June the 7th in the year 2022, and today, once again, we are back in the studio coming at you with a lot of things. We've got a few more breaking news things we've had since Saturday, and we're also going to discuss the Miami Hurricane spring game with Mario Cristobal in his first year taking over the helm. But before we get into any of that, you know the deal. I got to introduce you to my co-host, as always, the one, the only, Big Rob. How's it going, man? What's going on, everybody? Happy to be here on this beautiful day, ready to talk a little bit of football with y'all. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You're talking about a beautiful day. I just got one question. Is it hot, or is it just hot as shit outside? What is, what's, oh, it's, it's, it's hot, 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 hot. Just one hot. Don't do it justice. No, sir, it is burning up. I'm I'm trying to tell you, it's rough out there today. <laughs> all these kids that are doing spring workouts or summer workouts and all that fun stuff, I feel for them. Absolutely, man, absolutely. You know, it's – but it's going to get you in a, a good shape and get, get you ready for the fall. Yeah, absolutely, man, absolutely. I'll tell you what, bro, it's just – I think we're, what, 12, 12 Saturdays away? Something like that. I think I've seen it's either 12 Saturdays, 13 Saturdays away till kickoff for our Gamecocks. That ain't that ain't including week zero. No, that's not including week zero. That's that's straight Carolina football week one. I was about to say, hell, week zero. We got Vanderbilt playing, man. You got Vanderbilt. You've got uh, Florida State playing. And I think you've also got Duke. What we got Duke or not? I know we got Vandy. Playing Hawaii, that game yep. doesn't come on until I think ten thirty yes. at night. Late, late, late. You got to be a dedicated fan to stay up to watch <laughs> Vanderbilt versus Hawaii. I'm telling you now, but you know what? <clears throat> I'm probably gonna do it. <laughs> I hear you there. I might have to throw something smoker or so throw something on the smoker just to give me something to do. <laughs> I hear you there. I do know that I'm. Uh, I probably won't be able to watch that game because I'll have to work the next day. But the following week, being Labor Day weekend. But we all about some football that weekend. Piss on it. If I'm working on Sunday, so be it. Sacrifices must be made. <laughs> but uh, getting into this news, man, why don't we uh, go ahead and kick this thing off? Talking about Sean Elliott, man. He's sitting here talking about his return to Williams Bryce Stadium. Over yes, the season. sir. Yes, sir. I tell you what, man. I mean, when it came down to it, before the Muschamp hire, I was really hoping that the Gamecocks would keep Sean Elliott on staff. Yeah. It'd been nice to see him stay, but at the same time, once you go up to that interim head coach role, it's hard to be a head coach in a tough situation like that for half a season and then go back to being an assistant coach. Well, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Now, I kind of misspoke a little bit because Sean Elliott did stay on for one year, I believe. And then after that one year, he went on to uh, coach down there at uh, Georgia. Georgia State. Sean Elliott didn't even stay for one year. I thought he stayed for one year after Muschamp was hired, stayed on staff, I'm pretty sure. I don't think so. Pretty sure he didn't. Okay. Well, if he didn't, I stand corrected. But to be perfectly honest with you, man, the Gamecocks have not had an offensive line quite the caliber as what they had when Sean Elliott was there. No, they really haven't. Offensive line has been a struggle, but – 
I mean, I guess it's part of your coaching. I mean, you look at him now, he's a head coach, and you can say, well, it's Georgia State. But at the same time, this is a team that was not a good football team a couple of years ago when he took over. And mm-hmm. They have steadily progressed year after year. I mean, you look at last season, he took the Panthers to an 8-5 and five record, 6-2 and two in the Sun Belt. Mm-hmm. And they got a 51-20 to 20 win over Ball State in the Tax Act Camellia Bowl on Christmas Day. Yeah. So, I mean – that's not half bad. Not half bad at all, man. And just think, a lot of his assistants are actually moving up in the world and going to the, you know, the ACC schools. And I believe one even got an SEC job. <clears throat> yes, sir. And, I mean, you think about it now. Sunbelt, normally say Sunbelt, that's not a tough conference. But then you think about it. You're in the same conference as Hugh Freeze, if I'm not mistaken, with Liberty. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Uh, Billy Napier was in that conference with Louisiana Lafayette. Yep. The Raging Cajuns before Napier left for Florida. And you also still have Jamie Chadwell down there with Coastal Carolina. That was a top 15 team two years ago. They were ranked in the top 20 this year. Yeah. So, I mean, the competition was actually fairly stout in that conference. The whole conference has really picked it up. Absolutely, man. I mean – you just – that's one of those conferences, man, that you just never know what's going to happen. And, you know, to go 6-2 and two in the Sun Belt with that kind of stiff competition, man, you're doing something right. That's exactly right. And, I mean, you also look at it here. He's been there for five seasons now as the head coach. He's took the Panthers to four bowl games out of, in those five years and won three of them. Yeah. Pretty, that's, pr- that's pretty impressive, man. That's Very impressive. impressive. Very impressive. And, you know <laughs> – and week in his first game back for this season, he's going up against South Carolina at Willie B at 7.30 p.m. Coming back home. Coming back home. I mean, you think, man, he was born and raised down the road from the campus. Went right there to Camden, South Carolina. is where he lived. Mm-hmm. Played for the University of South Carolina. Then turned around coached at South Carolina for several years there. The dude really does love the university, and, I mean, he doesn't deny it when they interview him. He talked about his love for the university and all, but I'm going to tell you what, September 3rd, 7.30 p.m., I believe you're going to see some fireworks. You're going to see a lot of fireworks out there, especially with, you know, Sean Elliott getting breezed over when they come to that head coach job at South Carolina, man. He's, he's wanting to come in there, and he's wanting to show them why he should have been the head coach at South Carolina. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And, I mean, if you think about it, he's really, even though his win-loss record wasn't exactly the best, if you will, if you think about it, man. Damn. That is a low, low low-flying plane, if y'all can hear it in the background. Hit the deck. (laughs) Incoming. I don't even need a joke about shit like that these days. No, not at all. But um, if you think about it, in the short time he was the interim coach at South Carolina, he really did find a way to get the best out of the situation he was in. He got the team to perform actually fairly well in those games, and they played their hearts out. And You look at it, he only won one game in that remaining season. He beat Vanderbilt. But if you look at it, mm-hmm. took Florida down to the wire. That was a close game. Yeah. 
Um, there's a couple other close ones in there. Clemson, though. Lost to Clemson by, I think it was one point. So it was it was a close, close game. I know that. I don't remember the point spread. It was either one or two points tops. It was less <laughs> than a field goal, I remember. Mm-hmm. But, and Clemson was number one in the country. If I'm not mistaken, they won a championship that year. I do believe so. Yeah. Pretty sure they did. <clears throat> if they didn't, no, no, I think that was the year they went on and lost. They lost to Natty that year to Bama. The next year was when they won it. Okay. Because that was in 2015. The hell? <laughs> oh, hold on a minute. Got some text message. <laughs> Business related. Business related text message. All right. So I'll just take it over here real quick. But, yeah, man, I mean, it just goes to show what kind of heart that these kids play with up underneath Sean Elliott. And you got to remember, too, this year he is returning 18 of 22 starters. The, one of the pieces that they're missing is they're missing a kicker. That's that's pretty much it. So they're all right. I'm back. Sorry. <laughs> but I mean, if you look at his team, they got 18 of 22 starters coming back. <laughs> all they're missing is a all they're missing is a kicker. <laughs> Sorry about the L. I think I just said that, but we'll roll with it. <laughs> but you did, you did, you probably did, man. I, <laughs> Listen, it's been a rough week. All right. <laughs> when you got a business text coming through, you gotta you gotta take it. I understand yeah, that. Yeah, you never know when it's good or bad. <laughs> <laughs> but um, you got your quarterback coming back, who's got a lot of experience, played his ass off last year. But and the thing is, they say he's he's not overconfident at all. No, he's not overconfident. He has that confidence about him, but it's not far-fetched confidence, right. if you will. I mean, you listen to what he's saying, and they talk about the game and everything else, and he he gives Carolina a lot of credit, saying he talks about how they got a quarterback on the team now. It's a great addition, going to be an outstanding player. He's going to be difficult, saying um, a lot of things about South Carolina, how Shane Beamer did a great job last year saying they're going to be a very tough team. But then right when he was finishing off that statement, he said, yeah, he said they're really riding high after last season with a lot of momentum. He said, so, yeah, they got a lot of steam coming in this game, which probably makes it a good time to sneak one in. Yeah. And I said, he said to catch them off guard, I think is what he said, actually. Yeah. But uh, he makes a point. He does. He makes a big point. I mean – when you think Georgia State, you automatically think that that should be an automatic win. But if I'm South Carolina, man, you're going to have to make every single game count. Exactly. But you got to love what he said, though, because, I mean, when mm -hmm. they asked him about Spencer Rattler and all the transfers they brought in, his main quote he said was, they don't even worry about that. He said they just try to focus on themselves and don't overthink the opponent. More so, they just focus on what they need to do to go out there and win the ball game. If they control their own destiny in the football game, don't make mental mistakes, don't make stupid errors, don't turn over the ball, take care of the little things they need to do, then in their minds, they'll be in. They'll be right there in it in the fourth quarter. Yeah. And if you're in it in the fourth quarter, it doesn't take much to take one from you. No, not at all, man. I mean, as long as you can stay in the game, don't have stupid penalties – 
And, you know, we all know the biggest suspect that South Carolina's had the last few years is, you know, the defense against the run. If Georgia State can run the ball, they have a chance. No, absolutely. Ain't no doubt about it. And with a dual-threat quarterback, man, that's always challenging for any team in college football. And Georgia State, without a doubt, has a very athletic quarterback capable of doing things like that. So, if you're South Carolina, man, Clayton White, you got to really buckle down and kind of try to see through things. I mean, the way I look at college football is your first two games of the year are the most important games by far. Yep. And then the last two weeks of October and first two weeks of November. That's your most important games every time because that's where conference play always falls. But those first two games of the season is really where you set the tone for how a year is going to go. You don't see very many teams go 0-2 and then turn around and win 10 straight. Don't happen. No, not at all. And, I mean, you know, your confidence takes a big hit when you're 0-1. When you go 0-2 – Man, it, it's almost like quicksand. It almost feels like you can't do anything right. No, nah, man, without a doubt. It's it's real interesting, honestly, because you can go 2-0 and and get a team to believe in themselves, and they can really set the narrative mm-hmm. against everybody. They can think their way into winning games. But if you get a team that's lost a couple of games, man, it is so hard. Hell, I can tell you from experience, it is so hard to try to turn that page. Because if you get a team that loses confidence in themselves, you're not playing the other team anymore. You're, no. pl- you're playing yourselves every week. Yeah, it's it's all a mind game at that point within your team. And there is no other team out there, no other team – that's tougher to beat than yourself, your own confidence being down. Right. That can affect you more than anything in the game of football. Absolutely, man. I mean, you just don't really know. You know, when it comes to, you know, to blocking, if you're down on yourself, man, you overthink what steps you're taking. You may step one direction when you need to go the other direction or – if you're a running back, man, and, you know, you've, you've had a little bit of a problem dropping the ball, that's going to be in the back of your head. If you're a quarterback, you know, throwing interceptions, that's going to be in your head. You're going to over, you're going to overthink where you need to throw. If you're a wide receiver dropping balls, you're going to overthink that, man. It's just, like I said, it, it's, it is a quicksand, basically. Yeah, no doubt at all. So, I just I found that to be a very, very interesting article so to speak absolutely very interesting look at things no we're not a sunbelt covering podcast but same time they're playing an sec team hell my, my personal favorite yep and it's a former coach playing against this former school so that just makes it even more interesting and i gotta tell you 7 30 p.m september 3rd i think it's september 3rd uh, September 3rd, yes, sir. You best be paying attention because that's 
I believe that's going to be a hell of a ball game. I think it's going to be a lot closer than people give it credit for. Absolutely, man. It's going to be a slobber knocker and a half. And like I said, when you've got the motivation that Sean Elliott's got coming in, man, Katie, bar the door. Watch out. Yes, sir. No doubt about it. Well, uh, with that being said, why don't we change up? Go check out this other news we got. A little bit of news continuing from last week down there in Blacksburg. Well, up there in Blacksburg, Virginia. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Blacksburg, Virginia. We had a, a recruit that had decommitted from Virginia after signing his letter of intent. Yeah, I believe his name was Rashad Purnell, I do believe. Yes, sir. You're right. And the other night we were trying to figure out what exactly is going on because it was very coincidental how things fell with a former teammate. and None of it made sense to us. It was really confusing. Yeah, we didn't understand how you could back out of a, a signed letter of intent. No, absolutely not. And it just – it really made you wonder. Really made you wonder. And it also made you – I had a skeptical about if it could have been NIL or something like that. And yes, sir. You don't know what the deal is, but now I kind of wonder if what we're hearing, maybe NIL still could be a factor a little bit. I don't know necessarily that NIL would be a factor, but from what we gather, it seems like there was some issues that was going on with the athlete that needed to be improved upon. And before he could enroll, he needed to improve on those actions. And uh, it turns out that he decided he wanted to decommit, and uh, Brent Pry let him out of his commitment. Yeah, I think uh, there was a lot of cold feet going on there on the Virginia Tech side of things. And I think they told the recruit flat out, hey, you need to work on this, this, and this. We got serious concerns about it. And if you're going to come here, you need to fix these things because we don't know if we can give you a full scholarship. It's kind of the vibe I get. Yeah. But also, the way recruits nowadays are so focused on asking so much about NIL, I kind of wonder if a little bit maybe a player was asking a little too many questions about money or something. You know I mean? Could be. Because this is a recruit who everybody was very excited about, and then all of a sudden the program gets cold feet. I mean, is there – is it behavioral issues? Is he asking questions he shouldn't be asking that causes red flags? I mean, something very strange going on there. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. And then, you know, another part of it that makes you wonder is if there wasn't outside influence that was causing these money questions, if that's what it was. I can't say with 100% certainty because they really haven't said anything. But there's another program out there that we know all too well, the damn Turtles messing everything up so i mean it's really hard to say yeah it really really is man it's just a very very strange awkward situation to say the less but at the same time the player's out he can go wherever he wants now and my hat's off to virginia tech and them for letting a man out of his contract so to speak and also encouraging him to seek other opportunities. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. It's almost like it was a mutual, you know, mutual departation or something of that nature. It was it was very fishy, but now that we've got a little clarity on the subject, it makes sense now. Yeah, it's a lot clearer than it was. I still have a lot of questions on this whole 
issue, but at the same time, I get it. But, I mean, as as a head coach, you're trying to build a uh... – Trying to drink a drink here, Rob. Get your damn arm out of the way. <laughs> you need to watch where my arm is, shit. But, no, as a head ball coach, man, you're setting the scale of what you want inside of that locker room. You're setting goals for your players. You're setting – the attitude for the players and you don't and if 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 bad attitude is an issue you don't want that in your locker room no you really don't and i mean also they recruited another edge player who was from the same conference in high school he was remember Mm -hmm. played in the all-star game with him played the same position and all that and they also gave him a scholarship he's coming in yep so it could have been hey you're not going to get the playing time you want to get here so either we're going to have to see you put in X amount of work, we're going to have to see you pick up your speed, work on your weightlifting maxes, et cetera, et cetera. And we'll have to work on that to get you more playing time if you want to see playing time at this at this level. And I'll have to go back and look at the Virginia Tech spring game and see if that player was there participating. Because it could be one of those things that he participated in spring, did real well. And they're not competing. I believe he was at the spring game, but I don't think he competed in gotcha. the spring game. Gotcha. Because he's still in high school. Okay. Okay. Because he wasn't supposed to come on campus until, I think, two weeks from now. I'm not talking about Purnell. I'm talking about oh, the, oh, the other, other edge one, kid. Other one. He very well could have. I don't know on him. I'm not sure on that one. But like I said, we'll have to go back. I lost you there. <laughs> but uh, interesting news. But while we're in this ACC subject, we're going to spend a little extra time on this in here because I found this to be a very fascinating spring football game. And, guys, some of our takes on spring games might be shorter than others. Some of them you watch, some of them you study the film, and, I mean, might be a little shorter session because, I mean, you're going to see – you pretty much know what you're getting when you come into it. Not a whole lot's changed, like Clemson last week. Last season, Clemson had a sensational defense – the offense looked good at times, but it was inconsistent. Mm-hmm. Spring game, defense looked absolutely sensational. Offense showed signs of improvement, but it still had its inconsistent moments. Right. So there wasn't really a whole hell of a lot changed there. When we get a new head coach of the program, we're going to touch on that a little bit more because at that point, it's a rebuilding program. Yeah. you got to really dig into it to know what you're getting there. Mm-hmm. So with that being said, man, Let's kick it off right here in Fort Lauderdale at the DRV PNK Stadium. The drive, the drive Pink Stadium. Drive Pink? Yes, sir. Oh, I'm just going by the damn letters <laughs> here. My bad. <laughs> it's uh, Drive Pink Stadium is actually the stadium where they play soccer at in Miami. I ain't glad. It ain't a half bad look stadium. I no. Wouldn't, I wouldn't mind seeing the Hurricanes play there instead of the Dolphins Stadium. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> And, you know, I feel like personally they need to start doing some renovations, get an area and build their own stadium and get away, get out of the shadow of the Miami Dolphins, my personal opinion. Yeah, they need to. I agree with you there. I wish they would. They're spending money in the football program, so hopefully Miami is going to take some money and come up with a stadium. It ain't even got to be the biggest stadium. You can get something like a Wake Forest, have somebody like just to get a start. Right, and just build on to it. But get your own stadium somewhere closer to campus. Because, I mean, let's face it, man, Miami, I've been down there. I did a lot of disaster relief work down there a couple of years ago. 
Traffic is a damn nightmare. <laughs> I mean, Miami ain't so big, but it'll take you sometimes two, three hours to get from one side of the city to the other. Yeah, especially if rush hour traffic or, you know, just depending on what's going on, especially a football game. Not to mention if you're playing a game on a Saturday and then the NFL team's playing a game on Sunday, you're talking about the added uh, traffic to it. Absolutely. And I just – I wish there was ways – which I think you're going to see a better crowd this year just because Crystal Ball's put in effort to getting the fans more involved and getting them back hyped up in Miami football. But I wish they had their own stadium. That way there's ways for the student body to get more involved in these games because I think Miami is more so one of the more underrated football programs in college football. At this time, I would have to agree with you. Now, if we're talking 20, 30 years ago, I'd have to disagree. But as it stands today, you're absolutely 100% right. No, 20 years ago, man, I mean, there was, there was some big turnouts, but they were winning natties yeah. left and right and competing for them all the time. Winning the nasty natties. But nowadays you've got them playing in the Dolphin Stadium, and it's just it's falling off. Yeah. And they still got good crowds, but I mean, hell, you're trying to sell out an NFL stadium, man. I mean, that's, that's not easy to do, especially when your stadium's an hour from the campus. Oh, yeah, absolutely, man. And, you know, not to mention all the uh, extracurricular activities that go with, uh, you know, say a tailgating party or, you know, something of that nature, man. It's it's really hard to get everybody together. Well, no doubt. I mean, we've had a lot of feedback on our social media when we talk about Miami. And one of the most reoccurring things we hear from the fans is we need our own stadium closer to campus. Yep. I mean, you're going to be a prominent football program and you don't have your own stadium. Well, especially to win as many natties as what you have, man. You would think that they would have invested into their own stadium. Exactly. Ain't no doubt about that. But um, i tell you what, I think they're going to get a little bit more of a fan following with Crystal Ball. Oh, it's it's already happening, man. I mean, look at their social medias. Look at their YouTube. They had a decent following at spring game. It, it really surprised me the turnout they had there. But yeah. social medias is extremely active. Steady putting out videos, getting a ton of feedback from the fans. And it really just has a whole different vibe to it, it's, so to speak. It's got a whole new excitement about Miami football. It really does. I mean, you're you bringing back – a former national championship winner in Cristobal as the head football coach. You're bringing back in former players. You're bringing in Ed Reed. You're bringing in Jason Taylor. I mean, Ed Reed, former natty winner. Jason Taylor, former – I think Jason Taylor won a natty when he was there. I think so. Your director of operations, football operations, they just brought in – what the hell is his name we just talked about on Saturday? Um, I would have to go back through the notes. I, I don't remember. I can't think of his name off the top of my head. <laughs> but, hell, he won a natty there in the 80s. So – you're bringing back literally the winning tradition. Not to mention you got Ray Lewis on campus at practices, I mean, all the damn time. You always see Ray Ray running around there. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So it's just you hear people talk about Texas, and you hear a lot of people talk about Miami the same way. Oh, the U's back. Oh, y'all saying the U's back. And I get it. It gets old hearing that after a while. But I'm telling you from an open-minded football in general fan, this feels different. Oh, it feels a ton different, man. It feels different. It looks different. I mean, 
without even getting into a whole lot of this, just right up, I can tell you right now, you look at some of their practices, you watch that spring game, the intensity, the amount of heart and just intensity and physicality of the team just seems to be on a whole different level. But uh, one of the biggest things that impressed me is Cristobal and them have come in there and they've already said flat out they're going to go with a NFL pro-style <clears throat> offense right off the rip. They're going to emphasize power running backs, heavy blocking with offensive line, more of quick RPO-style pass plays down the field with the occasional over-the-top pass. Mm-hmm. So it should be very interested. And, I mean, you got Joe Gotti down there. You look at his system and then look at Mario Cristobal's heavy run schemes. It's going to be very interest, interesting. Absolutely, absolutely. You watch this spring game, watch the offensive line. It is 300 times different than what it was last season on that offensive line. No, the offense looks really well. Now, on the defensive side, you got the former off. Auburn defense coordinator, Kevin Steele. He's going to come at you with a more aggressive and very disciplined side of the team on defense, which they really, really needed to emphasize discipline <laughs> yeah. the last couple of years. The only thing I don't like about this a whole hell of a lot in college ball is he's planning on running the 4-3 style defense, which, don't get me wrong, I love the 4-3 but the way the game has evolved now, mm-hmm. the 4-3 is, I'm just going to say it like it is. A 4-3 defense is a very easy defense to come up blocking schemes, come up with blocking schemes for. Yeah. It's one of your easier defenses to get your offensive line to learn and adapt and move on blocking schemes. 4-2-5 is a little bit more complicated. Um, your 3-3s. A little more complicated, your 3-3-5, 3-3 stack, as some yep. people call it. More complicated. 4-3, I mean, let's face it, you got a Mike, and then you got a Will and a Sandbacker, and mm-hmm. you got your four down linemen. Mm-hmm. It's not the most complicated. So I have a little bit of concern about that. But, on the other hand, if you have the speed – and your secondary, and your outside backers, and then you got the physicality and the mental toughness in the trenches on your D-line and your Mike middle linebacker, mm-hmm. you can make it work. But you really have to cross your T's and dot your I's, so to speak. Yeah. For me, when I think about a 4-3 defense, <laughs> God bless you. Excuse me. Thank you. Thank you. Sorry <laughs> about that, y'all. <laughs> For me, when I think about a 4-3 defense, it just – for me, it seems more of a run defense rather than, you know, the, the run pass options and, and whatnot. It just seems more like you can get more mismatches out of those linebackers than what you could say, a, 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 you know, a 4-2. Yeah, I see that. It's just – it would be interesting to see the way they go with this. I think the way they're going to go is they're going to go very blitz-happy. Mm-hmm. They're going to put extra emphasis on getting after the quarterback. And, I mean, you look at teams like Clemson, that's worked very well for them. Right. So, it can work for Miami. I just – me personally, I like the 4-3 at certain levels of football. But in college football, especially in today's game, 
I just I don't know. I'm gonna have to see it to really get a hundred percent sold on that. But I still think this team can be very good. And from what I seen in the spring game, I did like the way it looked so far. Absolutely. Absolutely, man. I mean, they were those ends pinned their ears back. They got back in the backfield quite a bit. I mean, it was just it was a thing of art. Yeah, it really was. It really was. And um on the other side of the ball, yeah, those ends were getting after it in that spring game, but at the same time, did Tyler Van Dyke not show up and show out yet again and pretty much show everybody, hey, Y'all are really overlooking me in the ACC. Van Dyke showed in the spring game why his nickname in regular season last year was Van Dimes. He was throwing dimes out there. He had a few drop passes, which you hate to see, but at the same time, it wasn't on the quarterback. It was on drops. Mm -hmm. He did get pressured a time or two. But, uh, I mean, if you look at it, this kid was the 2021 ACC Rookie of the Year and the 2021 ACC Offensive Rookie of the Year. He completed 20 of 32 passes for 172 yards, including a touchdown pass to sophomore wide receiver Jacoby George. Mm -hmm. So you're getting some chemistry there with a younger player. But, uh, I mean, you look at the way he ended the year last year. It's amazing he's not a damn Heisman candidate. It really, It really is. Yeah, you lost Charleston Rambo, but, I mean, last year he was a backup coming into the year, replaced Eric King, and just showed out. I mean, just yeah. absolutely showed out. He really did, man. I mean, like I said, he threw some dimes out there. He was, you know, on point. He can he can tuck the ball and run when he has to. His main focus, though, is trying to get the ball down the field which I absolutely like compared to De'Eric King. But another thing that a lot of people aren't thinking about is that backup quarterback, Garcia. What's his first name? Jake Garcia. Old Jake from State Farm. <laughs> I'm going to tell you right now. I'm, I didn't mean to cut you no, off No, go there. ahead. Go ahead. But last year in the spring game, said flat out, this young man's got talent. Mm -hmm. He's got, I mean, leaps and bounds talent to be a great player. And he stuck it out with the program last year. Third string on the depth chart. Stuck mm -hmm. it out. Really surprised me. And so far this year, he's coming into the year looking like he's going to be a number two quarterback. And so far, it looks like he's content and sitting behind Van Dyke, letting Van Dyke finish out the season, which Garcia is going to be a sophomore this year. But last year in spring game, showed out. Just looked incredible. Then this year. Is he a sophomore or did he redshirt? He's a sophomore. Okay. And you look at how he did last year, and then you look at this spring game, okay? Once again, completed 14 of 24 passes for 117 yards in the spring game, where your number two quarterback really doesn't get the most reps because mm -hmm. a lot of times you get your main starter out there, get your second string guy, and then you really start working through the depth chart. Mm -hmm. Had about the same amount of passes as Van Dyke did, and I mean, really stat for stat, very close, very identical numbers. I feel like Garcia does have the better deep ball. Yeah. He does have a lot stronger arm than Van Dyke does. I feel like Garcia definitely has the more so pro-style arm, so to speak, typical mm -hmm. quarterback. 
I mean, hell, Drew Brees didn't have strongest arm in the world. NFL legend. So, <laughs> yeah. I, I'm not knocking Van Dyke. But this kid here was the former number two pro-style quarterback in the nation when he signed on last year, when he came in in 2021. So, really, you got a bright future because if he does stay with Miami, which right now it's looking like he will, looks like he loves program, loves the area. If he sticks it out, I mean, ideally, this will probably be Van Dyke's last season with the team if he has – a whole season like he finished the year last year. Yeah, could I can very, definitely see that. Could very well be last year Van Dyke. And then you got Garcia come back, had a whole year to learn the system, sit the bench, no pressure, really get everything underneath him. He's had two years in college football to get adjusted to speed. I mean, this could be a very perfect situation for this young man coming into his junior year. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I wholeheartedly agree with that. And, you know, I always talk about the perfect situation, and I feel like Garcia definitely has the perfect situation. Like you said, being able to sit last year, now sitting behind Van Dyke for this year is the, in the backup role. He's just soaking up, you know, what's learning. He's, you know, still learning the, the plays and everything. And, you know, next season if Van Dyke does go pro, hey, I mean, it, it's just going to be like, you know, putting another piece of the puzzle together, man. They ain't gonna, I don't think they'll miss anything. That's exactly right. And by the way, he did redshirt last year after getting his ankle injury okay. against Central Connecticut. So, actually, he still has four years of eligibility yeah. as of right now. Yeah. So, this could very well be a outstanding situation for him going <laughs> forward. Absolutely. So, there's a whole lot of things. And you look at behind the quarterbacks, you're running back. you got to transfer Henry Parrish, Jr., Came out there and just really had a great – I mean, I'm, I'm trying to think of the words to describe it. He just really <laughs> showed that he had an outstanding, great spring game. I mean, hell, he had two of the four touchdowns scored by Team Orange. Showed great running ability, great receiving ability. Had that one 21-yard run, which was the longest rushing play of the game, including a 16-yard reception. Underneath his belt. Yeah. So, SEC caliber running back coming in. And you look, man, this program last year, they ranked 98th in the nation in yards per carry. Mm-hmm. 3.69 yards. That was with the Manny Diaz and Rhett Lashley offense, which really year in, year out, has struggled getting the rushing game going. Yeah. So, you're bringing this SEC back. Who's to say he can't double those numbers? Especially with Mario Cristobal being a rushing game expert, so to speak. Yeah, absolutely, man. I mean, hell, if you go back and look at Oregon's numbers and, you know, for what they rushed, I mean, you can compare – you could see where they want to go with this offense. And if you've got if you've got a rushing attack behind the arm of Van Dyke, well, that just spells trouble for the ACC. Yeah, there ain't no doubt about it. And, I mean, if you really think about it also, okay, you got him going on in your rushing game. You got two or three other running backs that look pretty good in the spring game. Biggest reason I touched on him is he's a transfer. Right. But he picked it up running, literally. <laughs> <laughs> then you got a sophomore wide receiver out there, Xavier Restrepo. 
caught six passes for 60 yards in the spring game. Caught passes from both quarterbacks, Van Dyke and Garcia. By far showed that he was probably the best receiver on the team as far as reliability with drops and all that. Right. So you're filling in little gaps. Your offensive line's looking a lot better. Quarterback position, you got depth. It's looking great. Picked up where they left last year. Running back, looks like it's improved. We were worried about receivers with Charles Rambo leaving. This young man stepping up, looking like he could possibly fill the void left by Rambo. Mm -hmm. Then on defense, your secondary looked very ugly last year, to say the least. Uh, to say it, to say it nice, they looked very ugly. Yeah. And I mean, they really, really look good in the spring. I mean, hell. Both deep balls thrown by Van Dyke and Garcia. Beautiful passes. And should have been touchdowns, if not major gains. Mm -hmm. But the majority of them were all defended just by, not receivers, not by overthrows, but just absolutely incredible plays by the defensive backs, the secondary. Yeah. I mean, just the athleticism of the secondary, man, just speaks volumes to where they were from now and, you know, say – October last season. Exactly. I'm telling you, man, it got to a point last year where the old turnover chain like it was getting cobwebs. <laughs> Maybe that's why they took away the cob uh, the turnover chain. Yeah, they didn't really take away what take it away. They just lost it. <laughs> lost their privileges. Uh, Cristobal City is going to bury that damn thing. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. But then you look at your secondary. All right. Then you got your defensive line here. You got Jake Lichtenstein. Coming in from USC, Southern Cal. He's originally a Southern Florida neighbor. Native, not neighbor. <laughs> Southern Florida native coming in here. And, I mean, he came out there, got a sack, got a fumble recovery, and he deflected a pass that ended up causing a safety or causing an interception by the safety, James Williams. So, I mean, I'd say that's a perfect fit for your 4-3 defense. Absolutely. Looks pretty damn great. Same defensive line. You got Cyrus Moss coming in there. All right. Three sacks. Three. In the spring game. And you can say, well, the offensive line wasn't good. Offensive line did great. It was just he showed great athleticism, great speed, but more so the hand movement, the way he was able to use his hands and shed off the blocks. The thing that I liked about Moss the most was he showed what my head football coach used to say is great stick to Absolutely. So, I mean, if you think about it, man, I mean, we've, we're coming back just as good, if not better, at quarterback. Yep. Running back's an upgrade. O-line's an upgrade. Receiver, coming back, hopefully same productivity. Right. Tight ends, upgrade. Yep. D-line looking very much upgraded from last year. Very, very much. Secondary looking much Huge. better than last year. I mean, you. and the thing is, these are a lot of guys that were on the team last year. You got a few transfers in there, but a lot of guys from the same team last year. But that's what happens when you bring in a winning tradition and a different culture. You get guys that want to be there 
and take this job serious as their dream job, I mean, players see that. The thing that I see the most in the turnaround on this team, and, you know, I'm not trying to put anybody under the bus, throw anybody under the bus or anything like that, but one of the first things that Cristobal did was he let a lot lot of kids transfer out that really showed more of a me attitude rather than a team attitude. So he's, you know, I call that the cancer of the team. So he's actually cut a lot of the cancer out from what I can tell. Well, man, realistically, let's be honest. The last 20 years, with an exception, I'll give Mark Rick credit. He did his – he tried, and they had a couple decent years with him. Cristobal had that one good year in 2020, but even then, it still didn't seem right. Not Cristobal, but – Oh, not Cristobal, Manny Diaz. Yeah. Gracious, that drink was a little too strong. I'm mixing all my words up, man. I apologize. But uh, the biggest thing I see is Cristobal is taking it as a number one priority to bring back the days of Miami being a football school. Absolutely. This ain't a party school. This ain't a baseball school. This ain't a basketball school. This is hurricane football. Absolutely, man. He's trying to make the U mean something again. And I'm telling you right now, it's it's getting under a lot of people's skins. Yeah. There's a lot of people that's already nervous. I'm going to go ahead and speak about it. I was talking to a guy on social media a couple weeks ago about Miami football. Not going to say his name. Not going to say who he cheered for. Because I love feedback. It. I appreciated him having a conversation with me. But uh, one of the things he big big things he did, he said, oh, ha, 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 the U's back, huh? Tell him, I said, no, nah, there's, there's a good chance this team could be a possible ACC contender. This season. This season. If not this year, definitely next year. Mm-hmm. They're building something down there. there. There's literally, no pun intended, but there's a storm brewing down there in Miami. <laughs> and he just kept laughing off, oh, the U's never coming back. They don't have their own stadium. They don't have this. They don't have that. But he went so out of his way to bash the team and down it. And then I, at first I said, man, this guy really hates Miami. <laughs> but then I started thinking about it, and everything where he would really get wound up was every time you mentioned, because he'd ask questions, he was curious. And then when you mentioned the good feedback coming from Miami, that's when he would melt down. Mm-hmm. That's a sign of fear. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of fans out. Let's face it. If you're 30 years old and older, you know what Miami is. Yeah. You remember what they used to be. And if you remember what they used to be, then we all know what they are still capable of. Absolutely. Just because a giant's sleeping doesn't mean it's still not a giant. The giant has to wake up at some point in time. Exactly. I mean, you think about Alabama, all right? They had Bear Bryant there. They owned college football for a long time. Owned it. Bear Bryant left. Alabama wasn't. Alabama wasn't Alabama anymore. Alabama was junk. Yep. Not not trying to hurt you Bama fans' feelings, but let's call it what it is, man. They were 
they were cellar dwellers damn near mm-hmm. for a while. They were a typical four and eight, five and seventeen for a long time. Yep. Then the right coach came back, woke that giant up. I'm a firm believer in history repeats itself. Yes, sir. Miami was a powerhouse for a long time. A long, long time. They've been in the cellars for a while, sitting in the dark, sleeping. Old Giants been sleeping, getting beat up. Everybody's been picking on them. They're due, man. They're they're beyond due, and, you know, I love this hire. You know, with Cristobal being the head football coach, he's done – I feel like he's brought all the right people in. I'm just I'm just ready to see it on the field. Yeah, I can't wait. I cannot wait. Who the hell's their week one opponent? Week one. Let's see. Let's see if we can look it up real quick. I'm gonna pull it up. All right. I about dropped my damn gavel <laughs> on the floor. <laughs> don't do that. Hit your big toe. No, I don't need that. <laughs> oh goodness. But, yeah, man, it's going to be a big time down there in Miami. In week one, boy, I, I can't wait to see that game. I really can't. I don't care if they're, you know, playing just a, a Division two school or something like that. It's going to be a good game to watch. Yeah, absolutely should. All right, week one, you got Saturday, September 3rd, playing the Bethune-Cookman Wildcats. That's going to get ugly. Yeah. Then you got the Southern Miss Golden Eagles coming in week two, Saturday, September 10th. That should be an interesting game. Golden Eagles, you'll never know what the hell they're going to do. Yep. But then week three, Texas A&M at College Station. That is going to be a hell of a game. It it really is. That's going to be a damn great game. Damn great game, especially when you got Miami coming out two weeks in a row to hopefully beat up some schools. Southern Miss, like I said, that's kind of at large. You don't yeah. ever know what Southern Miss will do. But statistically speaking, that should be a punch in the mouth game, beat yeah. up game for Miami. Yeah. Realistically speaking, you should be 2 0 going into Texas A&M. And with Jimbo, you know, having all of his eyes on Alabama right now, you do not want to sleep on this Miami team. No, you really don't. But I'm going to tell you the one I'm really circling is week five. Well, I guess it's technically week six. They got a bye on week five. But uh, Saturday, October the 8th, you got the North Carolina Tar Heels coming to Hard Rock Stadium. Oh, wow. And I have that one circled. Do they play Tech this year, Virginia Tech? Mm, let's see here. No, they don't. That's an oddball. That is odd. Because they're rivals. Tell you another good game that you're going to have to watch, too, is the uh, Miami versus Florida game. Florida Gators? Yes, sir. They ain't playing. They ain't playing this year? Nope. Nope. They no ain't playing. Kidding. You got the Florida State, though. You got them Saturday, November 5th. Huh. That should be a very good one. That's going to be at Miami. But November 19th, end of the year, second to last week of the year, you got them going to Clemson. Wow. 
That'll be the one to watch. You got six straight weeks of ACC football. It's going to be a little brutal. It's going to be brutal, man, but it, you know. But you got six weeks before that of non-ACC competition to take advantage of your schedule. And I mean, very realistically, you look at this. Miami has a great possibility of being 4-1. and one. Hell, maybe even 5-0 and oh coming into the North Carolina game. Miami's got schedule this year, man. They could really take advantage of, especially if they can carry this chemistry, this culture, this attitude throughout the season, man. It it could be very, very interesting. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. And I, I feel like Miami could be this year's pit. Yeah, yeah. Coming out of nowhere. Not seeing them coming. Absolutely. Or even a Wake Forest. Yeah. And it's crazy to compare Miami to Wake Forest because, I mean, you look at the history of the program, but like we said, man, the last 20 years, really, Miami's been a bit of a cellar dweller, so to speak. You had one good year with Diaz. I think you had two good years with Mark Rick. Besides that, Miami's been down for a long time. Yeah. And, you know, you compare them to Wake Forest. It took Wake Forest a few years to build up to where they are today. But I'm telling you, man, South Beach, as a recruit, Mario Cristobal, that history, there should be no reason whatsoever that you're not in the top top ten every year. Exactly. Well, I mean, you look at it. Look at Miami's history. When's the last time they had a really great running back? Clinton Portis? Maybe. When's the last time they had a quarterback coming in the year with this much hype around them like Van Dyke? Go back to 2001? No. 02? I mean, you got a lot of hype coming in here with this team. I mean, look at them last year. Even though they had a good year in 2020, going into the season last year, they had a lot of questions still. Absolutely. They had a lot of questions. They're asking, is Derek King going to be healthy? They were asking, uh... Who's Miami going to have for receivers this year? Yeah, yeah, Charleston Randall coming in there, but what did you have besides that? Well, not to mention in, in the beginning of the year, too. I mean, you had – you didn't know if Derek King was even – even if he was healthy, if he was going to be the starter. You really didn't. I mean, the rushing game last year struggled. It was a huge question mark, and they couldn't fix it last year. No. I mean, when your quarterback is the leading rusher on the team, there's something wrong. So, all in all, man, I just – I think this is a very – jeez, what the hell was that? <laughs> my bad. My bad. I dropped the mic. Wait it down seven. Don't me doing no damn mic drops. Come on now. <laughs> it ain't over yet, so I, I, I'm sorry. But uh, anyways, what I was trying to say is if you're a Miami fan, you got a lot to be excited for. And I'm just going to leave it off saying there's a storm brewing. If you're a Miami fan, you've got a lot to be excited for. If you're a fan of any other team in the ACC, batting down the hatches, there's a hurricane of brewing. That's right. That's right. Well, with that being said, y'all, I think we're going to wrap this one up. Check us out on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Don't forget to like, subscribe, share it with your friends.
Tell whoever you want. I don't care. <laughs> tell <laughs> yeah. everybody. Tell your uncle. Tell your uncles, tell your aunts, tell your cousins, whoever. I don't care. Just love talking football, man. Absolutely, man. Hit us up. You know, you see us out there on the, the Facebooks or the Instagrams. Hit us up. We'll talk some football all day with you. That's exactly right. Well, with all that being said, thank you all for tuning in. Keep those drinks cold, and let's keep those chains moving. See you all later. <laughs>